Howdy, everybody. It's the Blizzard Watch Podcast, and I'm the host, Matt Rossi. Uh, with me this week is my amazing co-host, Joe Perez. We're going to talk about stuff involving Blizzard games and so forth, because we kind of took a we took a mulligan week last week and just kind of had fun because it was our 300th uh, episode. But this week, we're back and we're focused on Blizzard and its games. Uh, right now, let's be honest, it's mostly Shadowlands. Uh, but... I mean, we will have a little Diablo talk in these these news stories, but it's mostly Shadowlands right now. Uh, stuff hasn't come out yet. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, we could talk about Hearthstone because they just had an expansion come out, but neither Joe or I play Hearthstone very much, so it probably won't be coming up. I'd love to get a like a player, like someone who plays a lot of Hearthstone, like like Corey on here. Uh, we should do that. Should, we should yeah, we should, we should really do that. But for right now. Uh, how you been doing, Joe? I guess I should ask before we, we jump into stories because we just we just the thing is we just did the pre-show. Every time we do the show, we do a pre-show first. So we've just been talking for like half an hour. So I fe- it's like I forget that we're this is new for some people and we can introduce ourselves <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, what do you have to do, Joe? Uh, I've been I've been doing a lot more painting. Uh, I've been trying to really embrace my vaporwave roots, and I talked about it before. Uh, but I just love the color palette and like scheme of like eighties vaporwave, the bright neons, the clashing colors, uh, things like that. And I realized that like a lot of the stuff I've been painting for years is just like it's grim dark. And that's sort of the nature of the beast when you play games like, you know, Warhammer 40K, and that's what people pay you to paint is Warhammer 40K. You tend to paint in that style. Um, So I'm trying to branch out and be more lively and do things like that. And I really have been excited because this big project that I'm working on uh, is an old model that nobody cares about anymore that I just found laying around uh, that I forgot I had purchased from a friend who was moving away years ago. Uh, and it was just this big hunk of yellow and rust. And I'm like, this is boring. This could be so much cooler. And it's these big, large volumes and big round shapes. And I'm really enjoying making this violently purple to pink shifting color scheme. Um, I just found a, uh, color match or a really close color match to the old eighties, uh, gold, which, um, affectionately called Q gold. I'm not going to get into it, but you can look it up online. There's a whole story there. Um, I love doing that because like it's this rich warm color that it's not this harsh bright tinny color that most other things are so I'm getting really excited again and I haven't felt this excited about painting in a little bit because things have been boring uh so it's really livening things up and I'm starting to plan out like decorative bases and uh how I'm going to do like neon lighting and and neon effects and what grid work I'm going to work with so I've been I've been pretty good and pretty jazzed about that it's actually been pulling me out of a slump so yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> and then Matt was quiet. Pushing the wrong button this whole time. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Anyway, top stories. Uh, first up is kind of a... Uh, this one's kind of from like a week or so ago because we missed it due to our, our 300th episode being kind of a, a, a retrospective of sorts. Um, but uh, C- Complexity Limit killed Mythic Denathrius first, so they won the race to world first for uh, Castle Nathria. That's That's now over. Um, so if you kill him, great, but you're not world first. Sorry. Um, quite frankly, most of us aren't trying to kill him world first. Uh, but nevertheless, that happened. Um, I always feel weird about world first this early in the expansion. Because, uh, I mean, we're going to see a lot more content. There's going to be a lot more races. Um, but Denathrius actually took longer than people expected. Because there was an entire other phase to the fight. Um, I'm, so I'm going to actually talk to Joe about that. What do you think about them suddenly adding in secret mystery phases for Mythic? 
or even for like uh, for higher difficulty levels. Although they usually don't do it except for Mythic. They only the do last, it on Mythic, yeah. The last time I remember them doing it, Chogal was and um, Chogal. Yeah, I yeah. was just gonna say Chogal and uh, and Warlords. So, what are you, what's your thoughts on that kind of thing? I like it actually. Um, is long. He, this has been my long-standing thing. I think I raid a lot, and I like raids. I will never do Mythic raiding. Uh, I'm not capable of being in that mental space anymore uh but it's one of those things where like i like when they do extra stuff like that because it's fun it's a surprise and i think it keeps things fresh because one of the things that i thought was always weird is when you move from normal to heroic and heroic to mythic nothing changed really like in heroic you got more abilities and maybe in mythic they added an ability or two maybe uh and it was just ostensibly the same fight when you get to the big boss at the end throwing a curveball throwing an extra phase or something in there i think feels climactic uh as long as it's not some big massive lore thing that's kept from everybody that plays the game i'm fine with it but i think it's really cool i think it's neat when they do stuff like that. I think about when I think about this kind of things, of course, that it is is content that the vast majority of us are never going to see. But it's one boss fight, so it's not that big a deal. I do think it's... I, I read somewhere, someone made an interesting point that for some MMOs, like Final Fantasy, for example, the assumption is, the default assumption is that the, the, can, the canon encounter is the one that most players get to see. It's it's the, the baseline. Whereas for WoW, the canon encounter is the mythic one that very few players will get to see. Um, if they do something special or unique at the end of, a, of, a, of an encounter like this, that's something that is only there for relatively few players are ever going to get to look. Um, I, I, I think for World of Warcraft, it's kind of in a place where it's trying to dis, dis, it's trying to discern its identity again after like being like so big for so long. Um, the past four years, I think WoW has been very open and very almost like I, I wrote a post. I don't know when it'll go live, but I wrote a post base, today, basically speculating that for a long time, WoW was basically just a, it's just Skyrim to me. I've been playing it like a single player game this whole time. I haven't. I wasn't un, until Shadowlands. I was not doing group content. Period. I I would occasionally drop into my raid with my guild, but very rarely. And otherwise, I did everything solo. And ironically, Shadowlands is the is the expansion where I've been doing a lot more group content. I've been raiding more. I've been doing a lot more dungeons. I've done more mythics than I ever had. Um, the only mythics I did in, in Battle for Azeroth was the one I tanked to get to see the the end of the Jaina Proudmoore storyline. And that was me and, and Anne. I tanked for her so the two of us would get to see it. Um, and I tanked it like not geared at all. Like I was going into myth. We just did Mythic Zero just to get to the end of it. Um, so that's a, a big change in how I'm playing. And I, I guess how other play... Like I don't think you can really... You can't gear... In, in Shadowlands like you did in, in Battle for Azeroth. Yeah, that's that's the thing that makes that I'm really surprised at how quickly the the world first mythic race concluded. Because we were just talking you about can't, the, you can't gear like you used to. We're splitting up and doing like they they actually got up to a certain point on Denathrius and said, Okay, stopped and went back to heroic on two split raids and farmed for more gear to trade to people who needed it. Like that's that to me is fascinating because that's not something you hear about them doing on previous. And obviously, you're not going to see as much of that when we get to the last raid in the expansion because players will have been running content the whole time to to get the best in slot stuff as they go along. Um, but that's an interesting thing about progression raiding. You're often in a raid with with less gear than you might expect um, because they get there faster. 
from for a lot of players like when i was in the guild that did mythic stuff um in in the at the end of of siege of orgrimmar uh i was well geared because we ran we, we we ran a lot of content before we finally got to the last few encounters but the people that that are beating it are doing it as soon as they can and that means they don't necessarily have the gear that your guild might if you ever poke a toe in there um, they're doing it with what they've got so that wasn't surprising to me that they did it it was just surprising to me that they they, they had the time to do it you know what i mean like that they could do that while other guilds were still making attempts on denathrius they had the time to split up and go run heroic denathrius to get the the gear for their you know because the heroic denathrius gear is about the same as like it's it's less than mythic uh, Castle Nathri gear, but it's still pretty good. And if you don't have anything in that slot, then yeah, it's better. So that was that was an interesting switch on my on my end. Watching that, I thought that was pretty fascinating. Yeah, but that happened. Um, the the uh, Darkening of Tristram event in Diablo three is back. Uh, it's the anniversary event for Diablo. Um, they do it every year. They have for years now. So if you haven't done that, or if you haven't done it lately. There you go. You can go back and experience the content of Diablo, the original Diablo, uh, in Diablo 3. Um, they basically recreated original Diablo, and, and you can go do it in Diablo 3. Um, I, I, I don't know why I'm amused by this, but I absolutely am. If they went and recreated the entire content of Diablo 2 within Diablo 4, I would find that really appropriate. I would think that would be great. And, and people forget this, that we used to play games that were X-length, and now we play games that are Y-length, and X-length game, X game can fit into Y-length. Mm -hmm. One example of this that I thought was hilarious was, I don't know, did you see the Blair Witch game that came out last yeah, year? Yeah, I did, actually. I never got to play it. I wanted to, but I, I it's on my list. One of the things that I find really funny on it is that your character has a, has a cell phone, has an old Nokia. Mm -hmm. Nokia has that old Snake Chase game. You remember it? Yeah, and you can play it inside of the game. You can play inside of the game. You can literally just play that. You don't have to do any of the Blair Witch stuff. You can just sit there and play that that phone game for hours. Which is real funny because like that's a common trend in other video games too. Like uh, even Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, you can play. Uh, there's a, a game based around Roach from The Witcher. Uh, it's an endless runner game that you can play in the arcades. Uh, and you can just do that for hours. Fallout Four had like multiple games you could play on your Pip Boy. Mm -hmm. uh, were basically old. They were like adapted versions of like old, old seventies uh, and eighties um, games. I, I I remember thinking this is hilarious. Um, but yeah, it is one of those things that you when you see games actually have older games in them that that's cool. But anyway, yeah, if you want to do the Dragon Age Tristram, uh, I've done it already. So for me, that's like yeah, that's nice. But if you haven't done it, or if you haven't done it in a while, and you want to get like for instance, there's you can get the Butcher's Cleaver cosmetic item. You can do a bunch of other stuff you can get. It's it's kind of cool. Uh, I actually like it just because it's an anniversary event for Diablo, for the original Diablo, which, in my opinion, of all the Diablo games, the original Diablo gets the shortest of shrift. I would agree. Yeah, yeah it like, really does. Like, people go on and on about Diablo 2, and Diablo 3 has its fans, but nobody stands up for Diablo, the original Diablo, as a game. And it was it was actually really good. Yeah, there's a reason um, they made a second Diablo. Yeah. And I, I played the original Diablo on PlayStation. Like I had a, a disc that was Diablo before the PlayStation, and I played it on that. That's where I. That's how I discovered Diablo. Was was I was house sitting for somebody, and they had it for the PlayStation, so I played it. And I thought, you know, this is actually really fun. Um, it's not. It, Diablo has never been super complicated to play, and that's one of the things I like about it. That it doesn't, you know, 
as gaming gets more and more complicated and more complex, and I, I, all the Diablo games have been showing it, Diablo 2 and Diablo 3 each has been more complex, there is something that's always a little welcoming about the fact that Diablo does not actually, ultimately, what you're doing is fairly simple. Demons, smash them. Yep. And I, I like that about the franchise I always have. And I'm sure, you know, I, it's coming back in the fourth one. So, yay. And also Diablo Immortal. That's, it's all about that. So, yeah. Um, by the way, Diablo Immortal, the only news we have is that they're still doing the test in Australia. No new, new information on that one right now. Sorry, guys. Um, but we, we also, we'll talk about this really fast and then we'll move on to, to questions and stuff. Um, we did a post. We've done a couple posts actually talking about it. Uh, basically, World Quest gearing is weird. Yeah. And one of the things that's weird about it is you can be like item level 190, item level 200, item level 210, and your world quest will still be item level 158 or lower. Yep. And that's because world quests can scale up to a certain point, but they do a range of stuff. It's not like in in Battle for Azeroth where if you were item level, let's... I don't remember the item levels before the squish. My brain purged that information as soon as we got the squish. But... If you were like a certain item level, you would get rewards up to the cap. Like I think the cap was close to uh, Nihilotha normal gear. Uh, item level 100 once the once the uh, scaling came in. I think it was actually item level 99. That was what it was when the squish came out for the emissary chest. And the the rewards were obviously less. They were like item level 80 or so. Now the current item level starts. They quest started item level 148, but they cap at 150. I mean they cap it at 200. And they only cap at 200 if your renown is high enough. So there's a series of complicated things that go into what makes World Quest gear, what the item level you see is. I've seen in the same day, in the same zone, here's a set of armor for, for item level 174. And here's a ring for item level 150. Yeah, it's it's weird because like your your cap raises of what you can roll. Because every time a World Quest pops up for you, it's a roll. Uh, item level is determined at that time. Yeah, and so like if you are at the renown cap that lets you get those extra high level stuff, you have the possibility of getting it, not the guarantee. Uh, and because they're not taking the basement out anymore, uh, so basically in like Battle for Azeroth and in, in how it's existed since World Quests have been a thing, really, is as your item level went up, that band moved with it, eliminating the lower tier. So like, you know, just arbitrary numbers. If your original tier was one through five and then you moved up to the next tier, that tier maybe became three through seven. And so you never got one or two anymore. That doesn't happen here anymore. You always have the possibility, at least right now, and that may change, uh, you always have the possibility of essentially rolling snake eyes on 2d6. Um, it's it's a fascinating choice, and it's not one I'm sure I quite feel good about, uh, just simply because it feels like it makes world quests, which are already for a lot of people a tedious thing, even more tedious or less valuable. And I don't know if that was their intention or not, because they did talk about when Shadowlands was first released, they wanted to remove the pull from the game that made players feel like they have to play. Uh, it had it, They wanted it to be a choice, not a compulsion. And I'm wondering if that was the reasoning behind this, to keep people from clearing out their world quests and then waiting for more world quests to get that next thing or get that next role. Because now you that, you know... It's not a 400 weapon. It might be a 100 level weapon. 
and so it's an it's an interesting choice one i'm not sure how i feel about yet but i am curious if it's rooted in that make players want to play in some capacity not feel they have to play although then it makes yeah. me question why do you want why would you want to do world quests of that I think it, what, what i think it does is not makes people want to play not have to play what means does is makes people have want to play other content that will actually give them rewards if you look at all the world quests and you then nothing is an upgrade, nothing is anything you know that will help you. You don't do them, um, or you'll do the ones that give anima, and that'll be it. And I mean, it's to a certain degree, if you have a calling that says do three world quests in a zone, and you, there's only like four or five world quests in that zone, your your selection options are relatively limited. Mm. But callings don't don't provide anything like emissaries did. Emissaries, if you got a gear emissary, you were going to get an item. Yeah, and maybe it wouldn't be an upgrade because you already had an item of that type, but at least you knew I'm going to get an item from this. You don't get that from callings anymore. Um, you, you might get a just get trash for gold. Yeah, conduit or trash for gold. So callings are like you're doing them mostly for rep and possibly for some anima or a conduit, and you're not going to bother to do the, the world quests that that reward gear, which I think is it's an interesting change, but it definitely prioritizes group content over. Um, open world soloing content. It's a it's a shift in how World of Warcraft is. I don't even know if the rewarding is the right word. It, it's a shift in what it's trying to get players to do. Yeah, and I, and uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating, really, because you mentioned earlier that you know WoW is trying to find its identity again, and this is sort of another piece of that. Like for years, it was this big open world Skyrim like experience where like there's so much to do and players could feel overwhelmed by it. Now it feels like there's a lot more funneling going on or at least attempting to funnel to see what, what players will respond to, to give a direction to go in. Uh, if you're playing now, you're, you're almost playing through an evolutionary cycle of the game because this is so different as far as like what they've chosen to do over the last, what three expansions at this point. Well, I mean, warlords was its own thing, but definitely Legion and battle for Azeroth had, were, were geared around letting you play a lot of solo stuff. I mean, there was still group content. There always will be. But I definitely think the last two expansions... I mean, I remember saying it like in Legion, I had my artifact, and my artifact was just as good as any artifact that even a Mythic Raider had. I mean, he might have some Mythic... I forget what they're called, but the doodad you would put in it, he might have some of those. Usually, though, the myth, the, you could get pretty good relics just from like you know running an occasional dungeon or doing world quests. Um... So my, my artifact was pretty good. My armor was pretty good. Everything was good enough. And I didn't feel the pressure to run group content. I didn't feel like I'd, I'd be missing out. Um, and there was a lot of focus on, on appearances rather than stuff like, you know, performance. And Battle for Azeroth definitely allowed you... Like, I, I had, like, something like six alts at max level by the end of Battle for Azeroth. And they were all at around, like, normal to slightly close to heroic um, Nihilotha gear. Mm-hmm. For, moral quests and emissaries and stuff um and so it was definitely a case where like i my main didn't get an upgrade in shadowlands until like late ardenweald and i didn't replace my cloak until i was doing world quests like i got a i finally got a cloak that was better um item level 155 that was the cloak i switched to because my cloak was was better than anything that was dropping all the way through leveling and as a result it feels like now the way shadowlands is you can't solo the game anymore, like the way, the way like you could. Um, you, if you can, you, if you really want to, but you'll be way behind. It's much slower. 
Um, if you're if you're getting all your gear from the Covenant quest line, for instance, you can get gear and you can then spend anima to upgrade it. So you can get you know up, you can eventually get there, but it's going to take much longer. And that seems to be what they want to do. They want to make you know they want players to feel motivated to do group content. And I I I wrote a piece like I said I I don't I'm not decrying this. I just think it's an interesting change. And I think to a certain degree it may, it makes me question the way I've been playing the game this whole time. And it, it definitely feels like it's inspired by older World of Warcraft expansions. It honestly feels a lot like what they were trying to have the end of of Burning Crusade. Yeah, I was gonna say if it, it feels very Burning Crusadey about that with like how like the, the speed. end of Burning Crusade with the Isle of Quel'Danas feels similar in that regard. It feels like that's what they're doing here. Um, but yeah, I guess at this point we've probably talked about this a bit. Um, We'll move on to doing some of them their emails and questions that we get here on the podcast. If you have a question for the podcast, uh, please, you know, there's multiple ways to contact us. Please make use of them. Uh, the first one is to email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line uh, podcast or Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Um, if you send in a question that's for either show, it, it comes down to luck wherever it ends up. It ends up wherever whoever sees it first. Um, Joe might grab it. I might grab it. That that's how that works. You can also um, go to our Discord, though. We have two channels on Discord. One is the Patron Q and Podcast Questions channel, where we look first because that's a whole thing. You got we look there first because patrons support the podcast and the website and keep us keep us doing this. So yeah, we we, we look there first. There's also a Q Questions channel though that we do look in as well for podcast questions. Uh, as is always the case, Joe is going to read them for us. So if you don't mind, Joe. Not at all. And I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball today because uh, obviously we do stream this live and there are people in chat. Uh, and somebody did pay to have a highlighted uh, message today. And I think it's a good question. So I'm going to start with that one, which is going to be a surprise for Matt. <laughs> uh, this is from The Boojum. Uh, I do have I do have something I've been meaning to propose as a discussion point. Uh, the dragons have the ability to shift into humanoid form. Proto drakes don't seem to share this. I'm curious if the titans gave this to the dragons to provide their salvation uh, in the form of embracing those forms or even mixing with the races of Azeroth. Matt, what do you think? I don't know, I don't know if that's a titan granted ability or if it's just that they're all really good at magic and that's a thing magic will allow you to do. Yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of where I was thinking of it because like it's not inherently a Titan thing, but it definitely seems it's like a magic just, thing. It's basically just polymorph. Just instead of turning somebody else into a sheep, you turn yourself into you know a human or whatever. Um, and they each one seems to have one form it prefers. Mm -hmm. Like Caligos seems to like being kind of a, a half elf. Um, there was a Tyrigosa in the same flight used to like like to, to be an elf. A lot of them seem to like to be. Chromie likes uh, to be a gnome. Alex Straza likes to be an elf. Uh, Nosdormu, that's that's an elf. He's trotting around as. Uh, interestingly enough, um, Deathwing seem to go with human a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly not your stock human, but that same, was a human. Same with Anixia. Like the Black Dragonflight seems to yeah. be more akin to, to human. Minus. Um, what, 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 what do you Abenor. say? Um, Rathion is. Rathion's a human, right? Definitely a human. So, Definitely a human. Um, there's, I haven't seen any orcs actually, which I always thought was interesting. We think orcs are from another world, so it's not super surprising. Um, we know one black dragon likes to be a tauren. Yep, Ebonhorn, my good buddy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that's interesting to me. A lot of the uh, green dragonflake go with night elves. Mm -hmm. they, there's a lot of those. I don't know if it's something the titans did or if it's just that they're so magically powerful that they've just gotten used to doing it. 
like it's one of those things where oh um all these little humanoidy things are doing stuff and we we, we want to like convince them to do the stuff we want them to do without actually just you know dropping down and screaming at them in dragon form uh so yeah i'm going to take this humanoid form because it makes it easier for me to interact with them that being said it's clear that they can become interested at least romantically if not actually let's have a kid uh with yeah. in humans um so canonically we don't know if they can have kids with uh with other of the humanoid races right? that's not something that yeah we we don't know um i can't think of any any established lore figures who've who are like half dragon or anything like that we know that caligos for instance uh fell in love with jaina um i guess that relationship didn't work out i don't know where they are he now. also fell in love with a well of energy too so i mean yeah knows? i mean the guy is very affectionate with everybody except the dragon that he was actually supposed to marry um which you know i feel bad for her quite frankly although she seems to be doing fine with gerard Mace, so who knows um but there's there's been at least the occasional sign of it. Um, obviously, Alex Straza never like all of her consorts were dragons. Uh, most, if you, it seems like if they want to reproduce, they they stay amongst dragons. They don't they don't go and find a relationship with a with a mortal for that. Uh, I don't know. I, I it's an interesting thought. Um, there hasn't been a lot of of embracing of it that we've seen. There hasn't been a ton of dragon humanoid dragon mortal relationships and we haven't seen any children as such from them so i don't it is interesting to think about but i don't think that the titans put that in there expecting them to go and have offspring uh i'm going to say that that does not seem to be the case now that they can change it at any point in time because we haven't really had an expansion about nothing but dragons and their life cycles and everything else they've been sort of interwoven into a bunch of stuff but who knows that may change in the future yeah if you think a dragon's isles expansion we could finally find out why why how come proto drakes don't do any of this stuff or maybe that's where those weird human draken drakenoids come from draconoids that have existed because it, originally, we thought that they were just uh, genetic tampering from uh, Deathwing in Blackwing Lair. Uh, turns out they naturally occur because all of the Dragonflights have them. Every single one of them. Where do they come from? I'll point out that doesn't mean they naturally occur. We don't know. Fair. I'm making an assumption. There's been at least some speculation that you can, if you serve a dragon, you can be transfigured into one of those things. But to, to get back to that, though, for a second, we don't, like, we know that dra- that that proto drakes actually come from drakes like the stone drakes and the elemental planes. Like if you, if you go to to like what is now uh, deep home, there's stone drakes there. They're the, that those things are ancestral to dragons. And it's possible that there are drakes and like, you know, there's fire drakes in the fire elemental plane, air drakes in the air elemental planes and so forth that came to Azeroth when before there were like strict elemental planes created by the titan forge they could have come to azeroth and been there slowly evolving into flesh beings we know that that's kind of where we get proto drakes from so why you know proto drakes were evolving in a direction that the titans changed to make dragons what direction was it were, were they were they heading in the direction that dragons are or were they have been something else you know that there's a lot we don't know about dragons drakes and so forth uh, how do you get from a stone drake to a proto drake? Why do why do stone drakes look a lot more like dragons do? Mm-hmm. You know, stone drakes look like dragons. They don't look like proto drakes. Most why of the elemental are... drakes do. Like if you get like the the one of the uh, lightning drake, it's closer to a dragon than it is a proto drake. Like how how did all that come down? Yeah, it's yeah. So they could probably cool. have. An, I was gonna say they could have a whole expansion about it, and I would not be mad. No, no, 
Neither would I. Uh, it would be nice to have an expansion where we got to like talk about dragon stuff. Ooh, did I just disconnect? I did. I have got to remember to stay in the game more. Keep talking while <laughs> I again. Absolutely. Uh, but it's maybe one day we'll figure out or find out more about it. I would love to see some more information about it. Some of the stuff with Rathion might lead to that later on. Um, but yeah, when as far as like why proto drakes can't do that or why drakes generally can't transform into other races we don't know that they can't we we just make the assumption that they're really dumb beasts but we know that there's at least some level of intellect uh with them at some point uh yeah obviously like alex straza and the other aspects were all proto drakes at one point and they were even then they were smarter than their average proto drake it's possible that's the direction proto drakes were going mm-hmm so at some point, maybe proto-drakes were developing the ability to do that. Maybe there's a proto-drake out there right now that can do it, but doesn't see any reason to. Or doesn't I'm, tell anybody, doesn't broadcast it. Because don't forget, like, a lot of the times when we first meet the dragons and they're, like, you know, in cover form, we don't know they're dragons. Like, it's when we meet Chromie, I don't think the very first time we meet her, we know that, that he, she's involved with the bronze dragonflight just because we know that they're ones who mess around with time. But yeah, it, it, Chromie didn't go around saying, by the way, I'm a dragon. Right. Uh, but it would be interesting. I mean, imagine if the protodrakes can take humanoid form, but just don't see much reason to. Or when they do, they don't, you know, they're in Northrend, so they, they take the various Northrend races forms and, you know, they they go, maybe they sneak into like a very cool town and like spy on them for a couple minutes and get, get bored and go eat a bunch of chickens and then go home. Uh, you know, it, you don't know. Uh, that would be. I would love to see more about proto drakes, quite frankly, because proto drakes can still have eggs. Yes, they're not proto drakes. Yeah, they're not sterilized by whatever the Titans did. I, I'm hoping that they just kind of quietly roll that back. Like yeah. just just reference it anymore. Yeah, we can have we we're laying eggs again. We we figured out we had to come here to the Dragon House, but it's cool. We're doing it now. I would be absolutely okay with that, but I think we can move on to the next one. That's not necessarily about dragon reproductive cycles. Uh, so the next. How is it possible to have not? an entire show just about dragon reproductive cycles. I ask you, we could, I just don't want to, <laughs> uh, but our next question, uh, hello, frozen people of uh, the frozen people that watch Lord Soth with an in- interesting tour gas observation. I was running cold heart interstitia and I noticed there were both, uh, Mossworn, Kyrian and Cavaldir in the run, but they were fighting each other and not like training fighting. I noticed I was pulling aggro off of them from each other and onto me. This got me thinking, is this a hint that things with the Mossworn are splintered in some capacity? Are the different factions within the Mossworn vying for power over each other? And if so, do you think we may end up calling upon one of the various Mossworn groups to actually aid us in defeating the jailer? Thanks for all you do. No, I've been thinking about this since since I read the question because first thing that occurred to me is that we don't know that the Cavaldir are there as willing as servants. Yeah, the Cavaldir were Helia's main force for a long time, but clearly she's traded up. She may have very well like you know just abandoned them. Listen, she found she had her starter Pokemon, and then she got the big nice legendary Pokemon, and she doesn't use her starter Pokemon anymore. She's not bonded with them. It's fine. She moved on. That would be if it was Odin. I tell you, kind of did the, just not as but, but, Odin. You know, in, in all sincerity, uh, I mean, Pokemon aside, and you know, I, I'm just down for a Pokemon discussions. Anybody? Uh, no, I'm not. I don't play Pokemon. <laughs> no, nothing. Um, I do think it's interesting that to see that, but I don't know what it means because I don't know if the Cavalder are there as Helia's servants or if they're just there. Don't forget we, that Torgas is a prison too, and it's not just. Mossworn and Cavaldir, like you can run across um, 
undead. You can run across uh, various elemental forces that are fighting with them. Uh, there's a lot of weirdness as far as that goes of like them fighting each other, but we don't know if they were given to there, if they were sworn to the service of the jailer and then, you know, decided they didn't want to, or if they were prisoners at some point, because don't forget the jailer has been looking for something We're we probably weren't the first stop. There are probably other things that were way more readily available and way less capable of fighting back. And it's entirely possible that he has just a bunch of those things in the endless prison of Torghast because that's what he was experimenting on. Uh, you know, Cavaldir started as, you know, Vrykrul, right? Like, before they died and went to Helia's service. Yeah, the Cavaldir are very much people who died, and then Helia grabbed hold of them instead of letting Odin have them. Either way, if Odin gets them and turns them into Stormforged, or Helia grabs them and makes them Cavaldir, they're not going to where they're supposed to go. Mm-hmm not going to the stream they're not being judged by the arbiter um this might be of interest to the to the jailer we don't we don't really know what they're there doing there i haven't seen any cavaldir in the actual forces of the maw like when i'm running around the maw i don't see any cavaldir there that doesn't mean there aren't some there somewhere that i just haven't seen yet um but it is interesting to think about you know if they're there as part of helia's forces um that being said i also wouldn't be surprised if they didn't get along because if if the Cavaldir are there serving Helia, they could still be quite miffed that they've been relegated to you know Torghast cleanup crew because you don't when you, like I said you know Helia has been you know dealing with her her Morsewankarian a lot more than she's been using anything else, and it could very well be that they feel slighted. Um, Helia never treated her Cavaldir servants particularly well. Like if you remember, I don't know if you played a warrior in Legion, but when you did the uh, the quest to get the the War Swords of the Valarjar. Um, she's she's berating her her champion constantly, even before you kill him and take the swords from him. He, she's berating that dude constantly. She's not she's not a great motivational leader. Let's put it that way. She's definitely and she's not at all particularly interested in in the the Vrykul. I, I definitely feel like she views them as servants, tools. but not, yeah. yeah, tools. Maybe not even tools because you you cut you might be interested in maintaining your tools. Uh, she doesn't even seem to feel that way about them. But you know, who, plastic know, cutlery—that's what they are. It's not. She's not fond of them. Um, no. She may be happier now that she's got her her Kiri, and it might feel like she's got servants that are actually worthy of her now. And thus, she the, for who knows, there could be a, a so much of a divide there. But I don't even know if the if the Cavalier we're seeing are even considered servants anymore. They might just be prisoners. She may have tossed them on yeah. her way up. Yeah, and and or they may be trying to get back in service and. They're just being told no. There's more we don't know about that. I think some of that's going to become uh, more readily uh, accessible. We're place, yeah, we're in a place where we don't even know what the next raid's going to be. Mm-hmm. Like what what raids and dungeons and storyline stuff are we going to see as as this expansion unfolds? Are we gonna? There could be an entire like mini raid that's just going to like going to find Helia's new wherever Helia is now and dealing with her to keep her from serving the jailer. That, who knows? We, we have no idea. Yep. All right. I think we can move on to the next one there. Uh, so, so since it's a thing we all wonder about, the whole alternate versions of characters are part of the same soul like a rope uh, is made up of all the threads braided together argument that Steve Denouser made back before Shadowlands went live. How does that work? So there's Thrall, 
and the evil crazy maniac Thrall we saw at the end of War Crimes. And when Thrall dies, he'll be held responsible by the Arbiter for everything every other version of himself ever did. I don't understand this. Can you guys explain it? And this is from Cooper of Steam Weedle. This is a weird um, one. Short answer, no. <laughs> I can't explain I don't understand it. Um, I understand it in the, you know, in conceptual, it makes sense. Like you, if you don't think of them as alternate timelines, because we're used to thinking of alternate timelines in a very specific way based on the media that we consume. It's the very much the Jack Finney idea that these places exist and they're just as real in world of Warcraft. Alternate timeways are not considered real. They're not, they don't have the same validity. They're not the same place. Gul'dan I mean, really was the first time they did anything that had solidity, right? Yeah, well, I mean, Gul'dan was the first time that somebody came from another timeway into our timeway and actually did stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, other than like brief appearances. This and the entirety of the Megar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously. But that was after. Um, if you go a bit to Thrall, Twilight of the Aspects, he, he, he goes and sees other timeways, but they're not, they're considered to be like, you know, like here's a, here's a what could have happened what could have been not this place exists and we can just go there anytime we want to and it's it's a real place just as real as this place um there's a there's a feeling of unreality to it so the draka you see in shadowlands is the draka we've always known it's not the draka from the alternate draenor we went to but we went to an alternate draenor and it seemed real enough and and we did stuff there and obviously the Gul'dan from that Draenor and later the Maghar from that Draenor came to our world and did stuff and were real. I don't know if when that Gul'dan died, his he he you know his soul was already part of the previous Gul'dan who'd already died. I guess I guess it was. Yeah, and this is this goes back to some of the Dragonflight stuff though too, right? Because like Warlords is still there canonically. It's still a planet that exists. It's still it's not been erased well, it, it might have exploded but we, it, it's still there and but the, it might have the uh, entities yeah, that called that po- little pocket dimension or, or alternate time way home exist in some capacity um i mean like there's also like the potential there's a, possibly an alternate zera or some alternate yeah dra- i mean we know there were alternate versions of the naru we know there was an alternate um velen who died um so yeah but I, this is the first time that's happened and Usually, the bronze dragonflight takes things like that and pulls it back into the main timeway. And so it's almost like a fraying rope. So here's my take on it. that fraying rope thing, I think is accurate. I think it's it's pieces of that rope. And in most cases, you notice that one of those things is splintering off. And normally the bronze dragonflight would go, nope, 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 get back here and they they tighten everything back up and keep everything moving in that one smooth wave. What wound up happening here is somebody essentially ripped off a portion of that rope to keep it around in a way that it can't be reintegrated or at least hasn't been able to. So it is part of that whole. It started as that original piece of rope, but has become sort of its own thing and thus became real. And so entities like Second Gul'dan are capable of being there and dying or having a life. Imagine a couple of hobbits going, but what about second Gul'dan? <laughs> Not quite. Yeah, I don't think he's really delicious. But, but, I mean, for that matter, I mean, while you're talking about that, the possibility might be that it's entirely because of what Nuzdormu did. Mm-hmm. And because Nuzdormu tied together, you know, the pow- his power to make sure that in all possible past, presents, and futures, Deathwing would never return, which, I mean, might in fact have been what the old gods really wanted to have happen the whole time. 
to get the aspects to expend their power so that they couldn't use it to do as the Titans had created them to do and keep Azeroth spinning along its one true timeline. And thus now you can have alternate Draenor with its alternate people, whereas before the, the Dragonflights would have stepped in and fold, you know, folded it all back into the main timeway. Now the suddenly these timeways can exist and can start having independent existence. What this means for souls, I can't tell you. I, I don't I don't know. I, I have no idea. Uh, unless they actually do something in in Shadowlands that actually addresses this, I feel like it's going to be just kind of a look. Don't think too hard about it. I, yeah. I, it's literally their wibbly wobbly time wimey stuff explanation for how you can have two Goldons, but only one Goldon soul. Or in the case, like two Drakas, but only the, the soul of only one Draka ends up in the Shadowlands. That's that's their way of not having to deal with it too. In terms of how to explain it to you, I, I got nothing. I don't know. Or maybe one's just dissolved into anima because we've already seen that deeds uh, are converted into essence of whatever they are and used as fuel. You know, maybe one of the, maybe again, if the same soul exists in multiple incarnations, that's something we can do through time. Maybe it can be done through time and space. Maybe you can have two different Goldons. There's the same Goldons spiritually. Even though, you know, maybe that there's a really kindly Goldon who did like only good things, and that's just because that's a potential that all Goldons had, but so few of them actually lived up to. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing that the, the Void Lords are always trying to argue for, isn't it? That all possibilities exist. That doesn't mean that you're a different person. It just means this is the person, this is the you that might have been. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, and it's something we might not ever know, and like Matt said, Maybe best not to dwell on it. Although, Steve and team, if you're out there listening to this, I don't know, an explanation might be nice somewhere. Maybe. It might be cool. We're, we're, in, the, we're in the perfect place for it. We'd love to do an entire show on it. So Yes, absolutely. Um, our next question here, and I think the last one we have, is come from our good friend at Semi. Uh, question for the queue. Or the no, I think there's, there's an instant one more Lord Soth in there because I put it in. Oh, no, you are correct. It just it was intermixed in formatted the same way my bad but the next one tatemi question for the q or the blizzard watch podcast with shadowlands blizzard pretty much went 180 degrees away from bfa's emphasis on faction war between horde and alliance do you think this will last the whole expansion and or will the ex the next expansion swing the pendulum all the way back to bfa levels of faction war i sincerely hope not yeah i mean I, I, I... i'm out if they do that like i'm not even gonna lie like that that'll be i i don't want that again i will be that would take a much lesser role in the game world. I mean, I get that they feel like it is part and parcel of the setting, and it is always something that they want to preserve, and that's fine. Um, but for me as a player, it doesn't make me... It doesn't breed the storylines that make me enjoy the game. Um, I don't know, like... I've said before, you, you can you can recognize the quality of something and still not enjoy it. Yeah. Not you. I, I did not like The Shape of Water. I thought it was, you know, it's clearly a, 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 an achievement, but that doesn't mean I liked it. Uh, there's lots of stuff. Sometimes people mistake not, you know, their personal tastes for quality. And that's one of the things that I find really bothersome. Uh, I think the Bioshock games are not for me. And I like I, I like them a lot, right? Yeah, I've yet to be, my problem is that I have a, a really strong opinion about objectivism. So if you start doing an objectivist video game, I'm probably not terribly interested. I'm not interested in the fountainhead where you shoot bees out of your hands. That is not the game I want to play. 
But that doesn't mean that the Bioshock games are bad. It means I am predisposed to not being interested in the subject matter. Everybody has these things. There are people out there who just absolutely have no time for Star Wars. They don't care. They just don't, it's not for them. That doesn't make the Star Wars movies bad. We can have a debate on that one later. But the point being, there's stuff that you that's not for you. At this point in my life, World of Warcraft faction stories are very deeply in the this is not for me thing. I'm not interested in them. Because of the nature of the Warcraft franchise, there can be no compelling resolution to those stories for me as a player. I don't feel like I get anywhere when I play them. I don't feel like my character gets to have closure or anything. But in Shadowlands, I'm getting to have that because it's not about the factions. It's about the after effects of what we saw in the last expansion. Yeah, it's, it's conflict with purpose, but it's not... Conflict, in order for conflict to be interesting to me, again, this is all personal, and everybody's different. Joe has his own things, his own, his own takes, his own interests. For me to find conflict in a story compelling, there has to be a resolution. It does not have to resolve in a way that I like. But there should just, be a resolution. There must be a resolution. Yeah, I got you. Uh, if at the end of the day, the resolution is that this awful thing happened and going forward you will live in a world where the awful thing happened and there's never going to be any fixing it that's that is a resolution that's your character coming to some sort of emotional arc and making a decision and moving forth batman has had resolution on his parents death he can't fix it but he resolved his emotional struggle about it now it still comes up from time to time because it's batman but batman being batman is his response to the events of his life it is the resolution. I shall become a bat. That's how he dealt with his trauma. He he got from point A to point B. Point B is dressing up as Batman and beating up, you know, clowns. I'm not saying it's the best, most healthy decision, but it is a resolution. If you can't have a resolution, if you can't get to a place where you you take revenge or you you solemnly swear to prevent this from happening, because there will always be more of it, and that's the faction story in Warcraft. There's never any point where, they, like, like, you know, say, like, these, the humans of Stormwind and the orcs of Orgrimmar get together and, and just fight it out once and for all, and somebody wins. There can never be a story where they sit down and negotiate, and that's the new, you know what I mean? There will never be a new status quo. It will always reset back to, we don't like each other because we don't like each other. Yeah, and again we don't know what they're going to choose ultimately and they may they may choose to go back to it um the good thing about where we're at right now is that we are at a point of endless possibility for where they can go right they they can do any number of stories they want they can create any any new thing that they want at this point because they're not really tied to anything so like to me battle for azeroth almost was like a I don't want to say a swan song to the faction where there's very clearly still tension there. There's still conflict there. That's always going to be part of it. And that's fine. But it was the last time we had a big all out war between the two factions, even for a little bit. And the last time we really had that was Warcraft really ultimately. Yeah. Thing too. I am not saying that your faction choice is bad, whatever it is. I'm saying that there's not much to be gained unless you are willing to move to a new state. Warcraft 3 moved the world to a new state. Mm -hmm. End of of Warcraft 3, the Warcraft RTS franchise had gone from this is always us fighting each other to wait a minute, 
let's fight those guys. And that's kind of been the, the, the struggle that World of Warcraft has kept going back and forth between ever since. I would like it if World of Warcraft decided to do a storyline. If at the end of Battle for Azeroth, the two factions had made peace, as much as it would have been difficult for me to swallow, because, you know, a whole, whole bunch of civilians got, got massacred at the beginning of the expansion. If that was the, the path that we start on and things change from there, and by, say, two expansions down the road, you see Horde and Alliance units fighting side by side, and like so possibly some factions breaking up and new factions being born, I would be interested in seeing that. I would be interested in seeing lots of things. There's a lot of things they could do. It doesn't have to be the faction story. I mean, if you want to have that be just the default state of the world forever, okay. But then I feel like putting it on the front burner draws too much attention to it. It makes it like, if it doesn't ever get resolved, then why have it be the front burner? It's just going to feel repetitive if we're never going to change it or resolve it. Let it be the, the backdrop. John Lacari's stories were never like specifically about the Cold War. The Cold War was just something that was happening in the background. They were personal stories. I feel like with World of Warcraft, the stories need to be personal. They need to be about what your character is doing. And if your character can't resolve something, then it shouldn't be the focus of the story. That's, that's, that's just my opinion. That's just personal. It, yeah, it isn't, and it's you know, not to say that anybody who thinks the other side is, is wrong or anything like that. It's just... There's lots of different ways to approach it. Yeah. I feel like you're asking me like if they went to if they went back to a faction story this quickly. I feel like that's not enough time. You need, to, you need a little time to get away from it before you go back to it. I feel like we had the faction story in Mists of Pandaria. Then we had Warlords and Legion that moved away from it before we went back to it. I feel like you need at least two expansions before you should go back to it, at least. And quite frankly, I'd like them to go. But you need time for other things. So... Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, but again, who knows? It's it's their IP. They'll take it where they want to go, obviously. And we're just kind of here for the ride. Uh, the last question is from our friend Lord Soth again. Uh, well, we finally have a clue as to what disabled the Arbiter in the form of a streak of red light blasting through the Arbiter. Uh, so I'm here with a burning curiosity. I've reached six. I haven't reached six yet. So if it's answered later on, just tell me to keep playing, and I'll get there. What was the red light from? It seems to come from the souls being funneled into the Shadowlands. So was it an unusual soul, like that of a Titan soul we might have ended very recently? Was it an attack? And if so, who did it? The questions plague me like the plague that made me. Thank you for all you guys do. I feel like we've answered this a this few point, times. We didn't answer this one exactly because this one's been like on the emails keep getting bumped for like a month now. I think by now Lord Soth has actually hit 60, quite frankly. Probably. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because we've actually seen enough now. We've we've been through the storylines. The Covenant stuff has happened. I think at this point, there's practically no doubt that it was Denethrius. Yeah, they, we know that throughout the dungeoning, we find that he was developing weapons, playing with the light, torturing things. Uh, it looks suspiciously like the anima that he has stored in the castle. Uh, it does. At the end of, I don't feel like it's a spoiler at this point. At the end of the Revendreth Covenant storyline, when you're just leveling through Revendreth, he basically show channels all the anima in Revendreth that he stored up into the maw he just shoots it in there and if you look at the maw after you've done that storyline if you can find a place where you can see the maw in orbos i can't because i'm not in the right place but if you can find it the maw is different now it looks much more angry and red and seething with with anima power so i definitely feel like it's related to that but i don't know what it was exactly or how he did it based on what they did to the primus 
spoilers, I think that the Rune Carver is the Primus. Yeah. I don't oh, yeah. I don't think that that's not been established yet. That's just my head theory. But based on me thinking that, I think it's possibly related. Like the process of, of what they've done to the Primus to make him the Rune Carver is they've stripped him of his memories. And where do you get memory stripping? Revendreth. Or not Revendreth. No. Um, Bastion. Bastion. There's a reason the Mossworn are important. Mm-hmm. Because while the Morse one are rebelling against that, they understand how to do it. And I think that that's the piece of information the Jailer needed in order to advance his plan. Like if the Arbiter doesn't, the Arbiter exists. Like right now, when we come to Orbos, the Arbiter stirs. Doesn't wake up, but stirs. There's a momentary flicker. It's quite possible the Arbiter doesn't remember how to be the Arbiter. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's also interesting because like in Bastion, the forces that are ostensibly sworn to... Uh, the jailer and the cause are going after what exactly they're going after the mirrors and they're trying to stop you. Like that's a big plot point from getting to them and using them because they have an invested interest in them or they're keeping us from trying to discover something. But it seems pretty on the nose because when you see the, the vast majority of Mossworn, it's in one of those reflection areas. The dailies that take you there are in those particular areas of, of self-reflection and pulling memories out of yourself. That seems to be where they're focused. So I think you might be onto something. And I think that is a key. Uh, I, th- I would be remiss if I thought otherwise. Yeah, we don't, the, the problem though, my friend here, Lord Soth, is that we don't know the specifics yet. Uh, canonically at this time, if you are done with Castle, uh, Nathria, you've captured Sire Denathrius and you are taking him in for questioning. And that will probably be the point that we start jumping off and starting learning some of the the answers to these questions uh but right now all we know is that it was something that blew through the arbiter probably made of souls because you know that's what everything seems to be made of here uh and then arbiter went sleepy time so and i don't think it came in through the normal soul stream uh if i think it was shot into it so i i don't know that it would like we get a lot that people think that it's the soul of Argus, that it's the Titan that we killed. Uh, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that at all. Uh, we've been pretty adamant about that, but I think you're okay, even if you are 60 yet, because I don't think anybody knows, except for the team that wrote the story. So, And we might find out more as future content comes in. I, w- I would be very surprised if we don't, but I think that's all of our questions. Was there anything else you wanted to add? Unless there's anybody else in the chat who has anything they want us to talk about before we go. No, I think some of the chat, and I'm looking at you over there, 6,000, have gone on some weird directions today. <laughs> uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast with a queue, and an answer free site experience show uh again guys if you have a question for the show you can go to our discord either our patreon q and podcast questions channel or our q questions channel and we can ask them there or you can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com subject line podcast at blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show thank you guys so much for being here with us uh this has been the blizzard watch podcast and we'll be back next week <laughs>